Welcome to the Joseph Wells Podcast, where the guests are unique, but the goal is the same, learning through engaging conversations with interesting people. My guest today is Alex Wikowski. Alex has been running his popular book blog, Alex and Books, for more than four years. You may have seen him on Instagram, where he has more than 70,000 followers. Instagram is actually where Alex and I first met, and over the last couple years, we've developed a friendship that transferred over to the real world. I love the connecting power of the internet. In this episode, Alex told the story of the accident that led to him starting Alex and Books. He shared tactical tips to become a better reader. We talked about the intricacies of being a creator, from how he makes money to his daily schedule. Alex also shared interesting insights on the differing values of an audience on different platforms. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Now, without further ado, Please enjoy my conversation with Alex Wikowski. Alex, welcome to the show. Joe, thank you for having me. Super happy to be here. Yeah, man, it's great to have you here. And uh, like many of my podcasts, I think this is a testament to the power of the internet. Um, To give listeners a little background here, you and I became friends after I sent you a message on Instagram. This was probably (laughs) like two years ago. and then we met up in Central Park to go for a run, and we've kind of stayed in, in close contact ever since. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. It's like, hey, you want to go for a run in Central Park? And it's like the first time we hung out, it was like a five-mile run around Central Park. And uh, yeah, it's an interesting way to meet someone over the internet. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was a little unconventional uh, first time hanging out. But, it, you know, it was fun. It was a good time. So I think a fun place to start would be around this theme of online connections, because I see this with a lot of my guests, a lot of the people I follow on Twitter, um, and I think it's a fun topic. So I know you have about 70,000 followers on Instagram. looks like you've got about 15,000 on Twitter. So I'm sure you get a lot of DMs on a daily basis. Now, I know it's a ton of work to build this type of following, but that comes with a lot of upside too, usually in the form of interesting connections. So can you tell me about a connection you've made online that made you think, wow, all this work that I'm doing is actually really worth it? Yeah, so there's actually been a few people. And just fascinating, like, uh, I think Matthew Kobach had the saying, like, be a lighthouse for like-minded people. So when you build your presence on the internet, you kind of send the signal, like, hey, this is the type of person I am. This is what I'm interested in. And people that are interested in what you're doing will like come to you. So my brand's all about books and reading. So people that love reading, you know, they find me and uh, we just end up connecting. And like two people I've met on Twitter recently, which has been a really great, has been uh, Ari Lewis and Brandon Zhang. Mm. So these are two incredible, you know, writers. They have their own website. They also have a newsletter and their own podcast. And like, I never met these guys in person yet. But like we just been friends over Twitter for the past few months and like we meet up every couple of weeks to do a Zoom call, talk about social media growth, talk about best practices for Twitter, what's working, what's not. And it's just the man with like smart people, especially on Twitter, is like phenomenal. And like it take it does take a lot of work to build a social media presence, but the people you attract and like the ROI on the work you put in, it's just it's just so worth it. Cause uh it, you, you just like you're not going to meet these people in real life or most likely not, especially now during the pandemic when everyone's staying home, but like everyone's online. And if you could connect with people online, it's like you can make friends anywhere. So it's just, you know, yeah, definitely, definitely, you know, build your Twitter presence on, on uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more with what you said. And and to be able to be that kind of lighthouse to attract light-minded people, 
uh, or, or similar minded people. Even in normal times without the pandemic, that's nearly impossible to do in person. And it's not possible to do at scale like you can do it on Twitter. So you and Brandon and Ari had like a little challenge going earlier in the year, right? What was that? So we, we had like a 10K challenge. So first to get 10K, uh, I, I won that challenge. But in all fairness, I was like a lot ahead of everyone. And uh, Brandon recently passed 10K. And I think Ari's around 9K. And it's just like, you know, you have this group of friends and you want to like push each other and like support each other. And it's just like a friendly competition. And in the end, we all won because we all, you know, shared out each other's profiles and we all gained Twitter followers. And uh, it was just like a friendly challenge among friends. That's cool. It's really, really positive. I like seeing that. So I was yeah. I was having a conversation recently with um, a person I, I met on Twitter, actually. And we were talking about kind of retweeting your friend's work to ampl amplify their voice, right? And I always kind of think about this. I don't really have much of a much of a following, but people with a bigger following want to remain consistent to what their voice is. So how do you think about, um, you know, retweeting your, your friends and, and boosting their work in kind of like how it jives with what you're doing? Yeah, there's there's definitely this inv like invisible like value friendship, like like um like Brandon and Ari, like they always like and comment on my stuff. And when I shared, like I put up like my merch store and they retweeted it without me even asking for it. And then it's like, they shared the newsletter and I'll retweet it back. So it's like the people that consistently provide value, even though I have thousands of followers, like I noticed, like if you, if you comment a lot on my posts, if you like it, if you share it, like I see all of that. And that kind of builds up this invisible, uh, like gratitude bucket. And then when you share something interesting, like Ari's newsletter, which I always read because it's about the attention economy. And, you know, as a content creator, I'm really interested in attention. So he'll share the newsletter and I, I'm happy to retweet it because he's given me so much value. And it kind of also, although it's not about books, it does kind of align with my values and my brand in a way. So like, I'm happy to retweet it. So uh, just for anyone listening, it's like the value you share with people and the inputs you give, it's like they don't go unnoticed. Like people notice it. They might just not recognize it at first. But like, you know, it's in the back of everyone's mind. The gratitude bucket. I like that idea. That's that's really cool. <laughs> so, Alex, I think you have kind of like an interesting origin story. Can you tell me how tell me about the accident that led to you starting Alex and Books? Yeah. So the older I get, um, the, the more I learn that all the cliches in life are true. And especially ones like the worst things that ever happened to you sometimes are the best things. And I, 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 like, I kind of hate to say it, but it's so true. Like, so I had this, uh, I went mountain biking with my friend, you know, I love outdoors. I love, you know, sports. And it was the first time mountain biking. It was so much fun just being outdoors, you know, literally like riding down a mountain. But it's also like a lot of work, especially on your hands. Cause you're just holding on to the brakes the entire time. And like towards the end of the day, we were literally on the last run of the day. So I'm like, all right, I'm gonna take it easy. Nothing serious. I, you know, I don't want anything to happen on the last run. And of course we're going down this hill and like my arms were tired and I saw this ditch and it's like, okay, I see it coming. So like I prepare for it, I hit it. But as soon as I like passed it, there was this other ditch I didn't see. And then I hit that one. And then like my arms were so tired, I let go of like the handlebars. And then all I know is like, I'm in midair, my bike's moving away from me. I'm moving another direction. And I end up just like rolling down the hill. And good thing I had like a helmet on and some safety pads. And then I remember trying to pick up my bike and I just couldn't do it. I didn't know what was wrong. And then I'm like, I think, you know, luckily I was m m with my friend. I'm like, we should probably go to like the emergency room. I think something's wrong. And then end up like I separated my shoulder 
And it's like the adrenaline was like running through my blood. So I couldn't like feel the pain necessarily, but I just couldn't move my shoulder. And like just for the next few months, I was almost like disabled. Like I couldn't even put on my sock. Like I couldn't put on a sweater by myself. Like even when I sneeze or I laugh, like my whole arm, like just, you know, shrieked in pain. And it's like so terrible. And it's like, I couldn't do all my favorite things. Like I couldn't go jogging. I couldn't weight lift. I couldn't play basketball. Like all these things I enjoy doing, I couldn't do. And for like the first few weeks, I just kind of took it easy. Like, you know, I watched a lot of movies, spent a lot of time on social media, you know, played some video games, but I found myself kind of like depressed. Like I'm, I'm enjoying kind of my presence, but at the end of the day, I always felt sad. Like I'm just like wasting my time, wasting my life. Like I'm not going in any direction. And I've been meaning to start like this book website because I really got into reading, but I just always had those excuses. Like, um, you know, Stephen Pressfield shares in the war of art. It's like, you know, there's this resistance that stops you from doing any creative project you want to do. And like, I had all these excuses, like, I don't have enough time. I don't have this, I don't have that. And now all my excuses were gone because like, I couldn't do any of that. And I was just, I literally had free hours for every single day. And I'm like, all right, let's like, I never built a website before, but let's try it. And it took me a few months to set up like Squarespace to write a blog. And it's, it was one of those moments where it was like an inflection point in my life and I use all that free time in a positive manner to start Alex and Bucks, and it was one of the hardest things I ever did and scariest, even though, you know, physically it wasn't scary, but mentally it was. But it's probably one of the best decisions I ever made, and, like, Alex and Bucks today is, like, an entire brand, and I'm just so happy. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just so happy at looking back that that bike accident actually happened because it gave me the free time I needed to start my website, and uh, it's just been a positive uh, ride ever since. I've been thinking a lot about the role of adversity in people's lives, specifically people who um, accomplish big things and are quite successful. And quite often, it seems that these people have experienced adversity and, and that adversity was kind of an inflection point that, that pointed them towards something else and, and something better often. So it's, it's always something, you know, that's important to remember that when you're in the middle of this adversity, like when you were sitting in that hospital bed or when you were sitting on your couch playing video games thinking like, oh, this sucks, I can't go play basketball. It does suck in that moment, but often it leads to something that's much better. So just, you know, everyone try to stay positive in, the, in those times of adversity and, and it often leads to something uh, more positive. So Alex, I know you mentioned you were playing video games during that time of adversity. Um, I, I know a little bit about your your transition to making this website and, and becoming a reader at stopping playing video games. How did that stop? Yeah, so I, I see like every now and then there's an inflection point in my life, just like the bike accident, the website. And video games were definitely another one. Like, don't get me wrong, I love playing video games. You know, I grew up playing Nintendo, PlayStation, Xbox. And like, I would, you know, I played Halo and I, I felt like, you know, I actually attempted to like go pro in it, but then I thought, do I really want like professional gaming to be like my contribution to society? Although, you know, there's nothing wrong with pro gaming. Personally, I didn't want to do that. But I just, I mean, video games is so much fun. Like playing Call of Duty with your friends, playing Halo. It's just like, you know, a ton of like just pleasure and dopamine. But I noticed like, here's this book thing I was doing and playing video games was taking away time from it. Even though it was like maybe an hour or two hours a day, that's like, an hour or two hours a day or like 14 hours a week I could be spending building up my brand and my website and like the more time I spent on my website the sooner it could become like a full-time job so in a way like video games were like kind of pulling me down <clears throat> and around that time I was reading 12 rules for life by Jordan Peterson 
And he had this great rule. It's like pursue what is meaningful, not, not what, what's expedient. And he was also doing like a book tour. And um, the first time he did a book tour, uh, the tickets were like $150. I'm like, oh, that's kind of too expensive. Then he did like a second book tour. And now the tickets were like $250 or $300. And I'm like, this guy's just going to get more popular. The price is going to keep going up. Like, I love this book. I really want to meet him. But it's just like a ton of money. And I knew it's like, well, I can just sell my Xbox. And that's like $300 right there. And it's like, what a coincidence that his, his ticket price is like $300 and I could get like $300 for my Xbox and eBay. And I just knew like that was another inflection point in my life. And I'm like, Alex, you got to make a decision. Like, do you want to keep playing video games and kind of like let it slow you down and keep you back? Or do you want to sell this Xbox, like go full in with Alex and books, meet Jordan Peterson, you know, talk to him in person, thank him for like the book he's written. And I'm like, I know what the right decision is. It wasn't easy. Like once again, like the creative resistance is like, it wasn't like a mental, it wasn't a physical challenge. It was a mental challenge. Like it's not that hard to list your Xbox on eBay. And I just, one day I just said, you know what? I'm doing it. And I remember, I'm so happy I posted it on Instagram. It's still up to today. And you can see, I wrote like this full essay about, hey guys, I'm quitting video games. I'm going to Alex and Books. And uh, just meeting Jordan Peterson was like another life-changing moment. And it was, once again, it was one of the hardest thing I ever did, but it was probably one of the best decisions I ever done. And I still love video games to this day. Like if I go over to a friend's house, I'll play it. But currently I still don't own any video games because it's just, you know, Joe Rogan talks about this too. It's just too addicting. It's too much fun. And it kind of like holds you back from what you actually want to do in life. Man, I, I've had a smile on my face the whole time you're telling that story. I <laughs> love that. It's such it's such a cool story. So when you met Jordan Peterson, did you have the opportunity to kind of explain to him how you paid for the ticket? Yeah, well, I told him because um, you only get like five or 10 seconds. There's literally like hundreds of people that want to meet him. And I just told him like, hey, Jordan, you really inspired me to like start this book brand and I'm, I'm sharing, you know, book recommendations and like trying to inspire the people to read more and like trying to improve like not just myself, but like society at large. And he's like, <laughs> I'm getting a little emotional here. <laughs> but he, he was like, he was like, you know, he kind of teared up too. And he said like, I'm so proud of you. That's such an amazing thing. And it's uh, <laughs> It was um, like, you know, I really look up to him and to have him kind of just say like, thank you. And like, you're doing great work. Uh, that was really amazing. And then um, uh, during the Q&A session, uh, because, you know, only like four people got to ask questions and I was the last one. So I felt really lucky. And I kind of asked him like, what books like, what five books have inspired you throughout your life? And then that I wrote like an article about that and uh, did really well. And um it was just like great to meet him uh talk to him even though it was like briefly but that was like another inflection point in my life and um uh <laughs> definitely worth selling my xbox for it <laughs> that's incredible alex that's that's such a feel-good story man and good for you for doing that because most people wouldn't have so i know your your brand has experienced quite a transition from the time you you started your instagram and your website till now and you, you kind of went from you know, providing book summaries and recommendations to now, you know, writing a book and publishing a course and, and putting out content every day on how to be a better reader. Um, so I, I'm interested about this process that you went through. And I, I think it was intentional, but I'd like to hear you explain, you know, why you why you did this? Did you do it to grow? Did it happen naturally? What what was the process there? Yeah, uh, 
the key here is definitely um, whatever you're doing, if you like, you really want to follow your curiosity because if you always follow your curiosity, you'll never be bored with the work you do. So uh, interestingly, before Alex and Books, it was uh, alexandwick.com because my full last name is like Polish, hard to pronounce. So I wasn't going to do that. And then Alex was four letters. And then I did the four, first four letters of my last name. But still, even that, like, whenever I told someone about my website, even Polish people, they're like, I don't know how to spell that. So, <laughs> like, marketing was terrible. <laughs> so then I had to change it to uh, Alex and Books. But originally, it was more, like, college-focused because in college, I had, like, I think it was, like, seven or eight internships. So it was more focused on, like, hey, if you're a college student, here's, like, advice on how to get an internship. Here's also some, like, business books and marketing books that I'd recommend because that's, that's what I was studying. And it was more about, like, book reviews and book summaries and then it wasn't until kind of like I started reading more books and I started learning like, hey, like, you know, driving is a skill, tennis is a skill, and there's things you can do to get better at it. You know what? Reading is actually a skill in itself. And there's like certain aspects of reading, like how to find great books, how to like take notes while reading and all these other subsets of like reading. And I, was, I really got fascinated by it. And although there's this great book called How to Read a Book by Mortimer Adler, I felt like that didn't really solve like the answer I was looking for. So like over time, I just kept diving more and more. And then my bookshelf, I have like 20 or 30 books just about, it's like books about books and books about reading. And I've been fortunate to have like a couple authors on, uh, on my podcast to talk about the books they've written about like reading. One was like an English professor. Another was Anne Bogle, who's like an author and book podcaster. And I just became really fascinated with how do I learn the skill of reading and how do I teach it to people? So that's kind of been like the path of Alex and books, just like continuing to follow my curiosity. And I've been at it for, you know, I've been a serious reader for almost four years now and been really diving into like the art of reading, which is also the name of the course. And I just want to see like how deep does this rabbit hole go? Like how can I master the skill of reading and then how can I teach it to people? And that's kind of like the mission I've been up to with Alex and books. Yeah, it's, it's cool to see that transition and see somebody be able to dial in on, on what their focus should be and what their interest actually is. So I have a listener question here from a guy named Joe Ferraro. Um, he, he, so I, I want to give him a quick plug. He also has a good podcast called The 1% Better Podcast, and he's, he's spoken with a lot of really interesting people. So everybody should go check that out. But I think um, his question ties in nicely with your focus on how to be a better reader. So he wants to know, why don't teens read more during their school years and and what can we do you know to change that yeah um there's actually this great essay i read it's called um uh, it's about she she was uh the writer termed the phrase teenage illiterate which is like teenagers can read they're just like they don't read so it's called like teenage illiterate and i was actually the same way as that and i think a big part of it is actually the educational system like i like to say school teaches you how to read but not how to be a reader Mm -hmm. that's kind of like what i'm trying to solve but like in school, what you notice, you actually pick up a ton of bad reading habits. Like one, for example, is that you don't get to choose the books you want to read. It's like, hey, here are the books you're reading. And it's like, you don't have a choice. And it's like, even if you don't enjoy the book, you still have to, you, you're still being forced to read it. It's like if you hate seafood, but the only thing to eat is sushi. And it's like, what are you going to do? You're not going to eat it or you're going to like starve. And it's like, you know, even if you don't enjoy the book, you either have to like spark note it or like look up summaries and kind of get around it. And that kind of takes away from the joy and the like just enjoyment of, of reading. And also like the books you get in school is usually like classic books and like they're written maybe like 500 years ago. So it's like it's in English, but like not modern English. So it's like hard to understand. Like even like if you try to read like Dante's Inferno, it's like incredibly difficult. 
And during like those teenage years, I could speak for myself. Like all I cared about was like video games, basketball, and girls. Like I wasn't really interested <laughs> in books. And it was mainly also because like this like you never read like nonfiction or like self development books in you know high school. Like if you if we had like a finance class and we read like Rich Dad Poor Dad or the Psychology of Money, like I would have been interested on that. If mm. we read like How to Win Friends and Influence People, I would have been interested in that. But if we we're reading like Things Fall Apart. Or, you know, Gilgamesh, it's, like, hard to really find the value of that when you're, like, 16 years old and just filled with hormones. And it's, like, it's like it's more of, like, a matching process. Like, those are all great books, but those are books I want to read when I'm, like, 60 years old. And, like, you know, I really enjoyed my life and I have a ton of experiences and I can relate to all those ancient stories. But when I'm young, I kind of want books that I could apply to my life almost immediately. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely a matching problem there. And I know like a ton of people, even a lot of the like bookstagrams I talked to, a lot of them fell out of reading like during that high school phase. So there's something in the educa educational system there that's kind of killing our love for reading. But then I'm trying to kind of like help people, you know, respark that joy. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and I'm somebody who reads a lot now, not quite as much as you, but I read a lot. And during high school and even college, I really didn't read anything other than what was assigned to me. And oftentimes I didn't even really read that. <laughs> So I think what you're saying is it kind of comes down to giving students choice of what they're going to read, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe giving them some suggestions about um, books that actually apply to their life at the time. So how do you kind of square this with, um, you know, you and I are both big on, on discipline and building your discipline and learning that early. So how do you square this kind of choice and, and dropping, dropping a book if you don't like it and that kind of thing with teaching discipline to high school students yeah there's definitely a balance there and that's another thing with school it's like if, if you don't like a book it's like it's like too bad you're still forced to read it there's still going to be an exam on it and it teaches you this bad habit of every book you pick up you have to finish and even a lot of people when they get out of school they still feel like this oh i started this book so like i still have to read it even though it's been like six months and they haven't touched it and like there's so many great rules out there mark manson has one called like the 10 percent rule it's like you read 10% of a book and if you're not in love with it by then, it's like it's okay to drop it because you don't want to quit reading. You want to quit books and like there's, you know, you want to choose like the lesser poison and you, your North Star should be like enjoying reading. So there's plenty of books I picked up that I didn't enjoy. And like in the beginning, I kind of did feel guilty. It's like, oh, am I not smart enough for this book? Am I not like a reader? But it's no, it's like, it's a matching process. It's the same thing with movies. Like you'll pick a Netflix movie and it's like, you know, 10 minutes in, you're like, oh, this movie sucks. Like, let's change it. And you don't feel bad about it. But for some reason with books, it's like, you know, it's negative connotation with quitting but books, but it's like, that's wrong. There should be a negative connotation with quitting reading. Like if you're not reading, then you're doing something wrong. But if you quit a book, it's like there's literally millions, if not billions of books out there and many of them, which will be life changing for you. So it doesn't make sense for you to read a book you're not enjoying when there's so many other great books out there. So definitely quit books. Uh, don't quit reading. That's a great point. Alex, how do you determine if you like a book? Yeah. Um, so there's something I call like the two C's. Uh, so there's usually books that either cure a problem I'm having or satisfy my curiosity about something. Uh, so I'll give an example for each. Um, for the curiosity, I remember like a, a year or two ago, I remember seeing a clip of someone escaped North Korea and it was like all, all on the news and everything. I thought to myself like, you know, North Korea is always in the news. Like I've heard of it. 
you know, about the country. I'm like, but I really don't know anything about it. Like, do they actually have like concentration camps over there or labor camps? Like, is it really as bad as they say? So I picked up this book called The Aquariums of Pyongyang. And it was like a fascinating read of someone who grew up 10 years in uh, North Korea. And they were in the like labor camps over there. And they talked about like how hard it was to survive, what the country was actually like, how they escaped. So that was like a fascinating book that really satisfied my curiosity there. And then for like a, a book that cures something. Uh, so I read a lot of books like on uh, relationships and dating. So there's a great book called um, uh, What What Woman Want. It's by Jeffrey Miller and Tucker Max. So Jeffrey Miller is like this mm. the PhD scientist and Tucker Max has all this you know, experience and great stories. So it's like a combination of, you know, science and also like educate, uh, entertainment. And that was just a great reading, like diving into dating. It was kind of like a one-on-one to dating, which is like another thing school doesn't teach us. So I either look for a book that I could like, you know, will cure a problem I'm having or will satisfy my curiosity about something. So like the two North stars I follow. That's a great approach. And circling back on that Tucker Max book, I haven't read that book, but I listened to their entire podcast it's called the mating grounds podcast have you listened to that so good right yeah Yeah, the book's just as good okay yeah so i think any i mean any guy especially single guys and especially young guys like if you're in college you need to listen to the the mating grounds podcast because it it teach it's not one of those scammy pickup artist creepy bullshit type things it's more like hey how do i make myself into an attractive mate so that women you know, want to date me. And it's, it's simple things like, you know, have good hygiene, wear clothes that fit you, go to the gym, you know, just make yourself a desirable individual. But the way they teach these things and tell the stories, it's hilarious. It's, it's fun to listen to. And like you said, it kind of solves, it cures the problem that you're having at that time for a lot of people. Yeah. And just like, I guarantee you, like if either of us taught a class in high school about dating relationships and we gave, you know, students a book a week to read, I guarantee you all the guys in class would read it because they would want to know how to get a girlfriend or whatever. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. Everybody would be all yeah. over that. And then they would be like, hey, you got another book on that? <laughs> totally. <laughs> <laughs> So another uh, recommendation I have here, and I haven't actually read this, but it ties back into your North Korea suggestion. <laughs> book is called Escape from Camp 14. Have you heard about no. this? So somebody recommended this to me a couple of years ago, and it was about somebody who escaped from one of these camps in North Korea. And I've done a little bit of reading of articles on what's going on over there, and it's like, it's shocking. It's disgusting. It's it's like Nazi Germany, basically. Like they're imprisoning Muslims and putting them in these camps, and they just disappear, and their families never hear from them again. Yeah. So I, that that's a book I want to check out, and if if any listeners have read it, I'd love to hear your feedback on it. Yeah. That's actually um, I have this section on my website. It's like the five uh, best like top prisoner of war or like labor camp books, and you know I kind of hate to say it, but. Like, those are kind of the books you want to read, even though they're kind of horrifying, because they teach you, like, one, about just the human spirit and just how, like, survival or, or, like, how incredible the human spirit is to survive. And two, it kind of teaches you kind of, like, what humans are capable of. So, like, what you have to, like, be careful of, like, what society can become. And it's just, like, those are the those are the type of books that no one talks about, but more people should definitely read. Totally agree. Yeah, those are important lessons. It's good to see things that have happened in history and then view the present with that lens. It, you know, it gives you a lot more perspective and helps you to better form opinions and make decisions. So yeah, I, I like that recommendation. Alex, I'd like to hear a little bit about 
you know, some of the content that you're creating, some of the longer form stuff. I know you've written a book called The Reader's Journey, and you're about to release a course called The Art of Reading. Can you briefly explain the book and then tell me about the course as well? Yeah, so the book started like a, as an ebook project, but I'm kind of shifting most of the content into the course because I feel like it would just be a better way to kind of like absorb the knowledge uh, because it's hard to like in the book teach people like how to write notes while reading. So... <laughs> So in the course, it's gonna be like three main sections. So the first one is like how to find and filter for great books, because this isn't like a skill no one teaches you, like how to, you know, you walk into a bookstore, there's a million books, how do you find which one's like meant for you? Uh, the second section is about getting more books into your life. That means like building a reading habit, how to like read more, uh, how to like, you know, schedule time for reading, you know, how to skim, re skim read, uh, skip read, uh, just uh, speed read also in general. And then the last part is more about like how to get uh, more life out of your books. So like how to take notes while reading, how to use like post-it notes, uh, how to like store all that information and lessons you learn, and also like how to apply what you uh, you learn. So <clears throat> those are like three main sections I'm working on. And it's really all about, uh, it's like a course for two types of people, anyone that wants to become a reader and people that currently read, but want to take their reading habit to like the next level so they could read more like efficiently and effectively. So that's kind of like what I've been working on. Nice. So what is the, the format of the course? Is it video? Is it live sessions? How does it work? Yeah. So it's like a self-paced paced course. It's going to be like videos, probably like 15 or to like 20 videos. And then there's also going to be like uh, notes and summaries of like all like my uh, reading tips. And there's also going to be like a lot of uh, worksheets and like exercises you could do. So like, although it's like a self-paced course, like, you know, it's, I don't want to be like you're in a lecture and you're just listening to the professor talk the whole time. Like there's going to be assignments you can do like, hey, okay, now that you learned this reading tip, go find like five books that you'd be interested in reading. Or like, hey, now that you know you have to schedule, you know, reading into your days, like, hey, you know, pick a time and then, you know, um, like set alarm on your phone or your computer and like make sure you track that. Or it's like, hey, now that you know how to take notes while reading, you know, start doing that and then like start you know, keeping those notes in like your reader journal and like start applying it to your life. So it's going to be all those like self-paced videos. There's going to be like a lot of exercises and worksheets to like keep people <clears throat> like a company and guide them throughout their journey. I like that. So the, the information that you're teaching in this course, is this um, tips and trip tricks and tactics that you've figured out over your journey? Or is it things that you've picked up from taking other courses or, or where, where's the information come from? It's a combination of both. So like a lot of this like strategies that people share, they really don't have a name. So like when I talked about like the two C's, cures and curiosity, it's like people just say, oh, it's like follow what you're interested in. Mm. But that's kind of super vague. So I really kind of, I try to make the tips as practical, practical as possible. And like, you know, also the branding and the way you, you know, market is also super important because you want people to remember their advice they're learning. And I've also read like a ton of books, uh, just about books. So like, I'd rather be reading how to read a book, uh, the pleasures of reading in the age of distractions, uh, you know, indistractable and so on and so on. So it's like a combination of my personal knowledge that I've tested and has worked for me. And also like, you know, advice I've learned from all these books about books. Okay. Give me a little teaser of the course here. So when you walk into a, a bookstore, how do you narrow down what you're going to buy? So like, let's say you walk into a bookstore, first thing would be is like, okay, so you have the cures and the curiosity. So you would want to like write down what you're curious about. And then uh, like the next step would be 
although like I'm sure like you're curious in like dozens of things, uh, Naval has this like great tip where it's like read what you love until you love to read. Mm -hmm. So although like I'm curious about like you know how do airplanes work, that's not something I really like want to like. That's not like a subject I love, and that's something like I would like follow even more. So that would be like a second level filter, and then for like the cures, uh, you know people have a ton of problems and they also have like problems they think they'll have in the future. And I have this tip called uh, read it when you need it. So uh, like, I'll give you a great story. Like in college, I was reading a lot of management books because I thought in the future I'd be like a CMO or like a CEO and I would need to know how to manage like people in a company. So I was reading all these like management books, like the effective executive high output management. But the thing is, like, I couldn't really apply any of the, that information because, like, I was an intern working at this big corporation. You know, I didn't have anyone working for me. And then also I had, like, a career change. So I went from, like, you know, wanting to work in the corporate world to wanting to be, like, a writer. So a lot of the information I learned, I just couldn't apply. And, like, if you ask me now, it's like I really don't remember, like, what I read from those books. So it's kind of, it wasn't effective, although I was reading, which is great. It wasn't effective time, uh, use of my time. So I think great strategy to have is, like, you know, ask yourself, can I apply what I'm learning from this book like today or in the near future? And the more applicable it is to you and the sooner you can apply it, the more interested you'll be. And yeah, the, the sooner you'll get the results you want from it and like you, you'll see improvements of your life. So definitely like read it when you need it is like a great uh, uh, tip I would use. That's a great strategy. And it, it seems so intuitive, but for somebody who's not a big reader, they're not going to know that they should pick up the thing that's going to teach them something that they they are going to use tomorrow so like just that small piece of information and how how you execute it that can turn somebody from a person who only watches tv to a person who only reads books it's really cool you're, i think you're going to make a big difference in a lot of lives with this you also have a podcast called the reader's journey where you interview authors what prompted you to start this yeah, so I, I kind of built this relationship with audio, with the authors because on the Instagram account, like sometimes authors would reach out to me. It's like, hey, I have this new book coming out. Can I send it to you? And then sometimes I would just reach out to authors to be like, hey, so you have a new book uh, coming out. You know, if you send it to me, I'll share on my social media. So I kind of established this early like relationship with authors. And I figured like I worked for podcast notes and it's like I was listening to all these you know, podcast hosts talking to like all these great authors. I'm like, man, that'd be such a cool job. This is something I'd want to do. And, you know, this theme of like resistance had been throughout my life. Like I want to start a podcast for over a year. And the funny thing is I actually reached out to like James Altucher and I met him. I was like, hey man, I'll work for you for free. I just want to learn like how to podcast and the whole podcast industry. But, you know, he did, he already had a full team. So there wasn't any opportunities. So I was kind of bummed out. And for a while, I was like, man, like, I really want to start a podcast. Like, you know, I ordered like a mic, but I just had like this mental resistance to do it. And then I, I remember thinking about James' book and the title is Choose Yourself. I'm like, man, what would James do? And it's like, he would definitely like, choose himself because his book is all about like, don't wait for the gatekeepers. And so I decided, you know, one day I'm just going to reach out to three authors. You know, if they say yes, you know, maybe then I'll do a podcast. And all three said yes. And then I'm like, damn, now I got to figure out how to do a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> like I had the mic, but I didn't know like the recording software. I don't really know how to edit, you know, how to prep for the podcast or anything. But I was like, all right, well, they said yes, so I can't let them down now. <laughs> so then, yeah, I just kind of figured things out. I kind of reached out to a couple of podcasters like, hey, what kind of software do you use? Like any advice here and there? I watched a couple of videos, tutorials. And it was really just like, 
like you know there's so many amazing books out there and i just want to spread the word about them and just the podcast is just another way to do that and it's also a great way to just kind of thank the authors that of books i really enjoyed especially now with the pandemics like i can't you know they're not having authors events anymore so it's hard to meet authors so it's just really cool it's like you read a great book you could call up the author and be like hey you want to talk about the book for an hour i'll share on social media and they're like yeah man let's do it and it's like it's just been so incredible to talk with the authors whose books you've enjoyed and just kind of you know share many of the lessons you learn and just having people you know message you being like hey i loved your podcast i learned so much from here you know hearing near all or james altucher it's just like a fantastic feeling so uh definitely like i find a lot of pleasure from it but i love that a lot you know um listeners learn a lot from it too so it's definitely a win-win yeah i i think it's a lot of fun to be able to talk to these like pretty accomplished people who have put something out into the world that's meaningful and you know you have these conversations with them and it's just a lot of fun i think you made a good point about starting a podcast how it feels like quite daunting at the beginning it's actually like when you get to this point where you know you and i each have a podcast and we're just sitting here having a conversation it's actually not that hard you know but at the beginning you're like oh shit how do i how do i record it how do i upload it how do i host it how do i put it on my website and i think my biggest advice to people is like just take it one step at a time. There are a ton of good articles out there, a ton of videos. And when you decide you want to start a podcast, you don't have to go from zero to having a podcast in the iTunes directory the next day, you know, just like buy the microphone and then figure out how you're going to host it and just do it one step at a time. And within a couple of weeks, you'll be like, oh yeah, this is actually really easy. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. And it's like, yeah, it's more of a mental challenge than a physical one. It's not that hard to plug in a mic, hit record and talk. Like that's just like three steps of podcasting right there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's way easier than, than people think it is. So what have been the biggest wins and the biggest frustrations with the podcast? Mm, that's a good question. Um, the biggest frustration is really <laughs> the amount of work behind it. I'm really like a one-man team here. So it's like usually I read the book. I have to decide like do I enjoy it or do I not? And then if I really enjoy it, I have to reach out to the author, you know, find their email. And then, you know, sometimes they say yes, sometimes they say no or like let's do it later. And then usually it takes like two to three weeks to like schedule something. And then by then sometimes I kind of forgot some of the information. So I have to like reread the book. I, have to, I usually write out like three or four pages of questions. And I know I'm not going to get to all of it, but just depending where the conversation goes, I want to have a question ready. And then it's actually like recording the conversation, uh, making sure like the internet connection is good, the sound quality is good, making sure you hit record. You never want to forget that part. And then uh, uh, after the podcast, it's like doing all the editing um, and just like kind of distributing it, like kind of writing uh, what's podcast about and like sharing it. And it is it is a ton of work, that's for sure. But I think like we talked about earlier, just being able to talk to all these incredible people um, is definitely, you know, enjoying feeling. And I, one of the highlights would definitely be having James Aldichard on my podcast because I just kind of went full circle. Like I wanted to work for James to learn about podcasting, start my own podcast. And then his book inspired me to kind of like skip that step and choose myself, start my own podcast. And now the guy I wanted to work for, he was kind enough to come on my podcast and he has a new book coming out uh, early next year. And he said, you know, happy to come on again. And it's just like, it's incredible when you choose yourself. Um, so that's been just a great feeling. That's so cool to see it come full circle like that. So I have to jump back to something that you said here, uh, always hitting record. Did you forget to hit record on a podcast? No, but because like the pod, the authors don't like hear the sound or anything. I had a couple of times where they're like, Hey, do you hit record? 
and it's like yeah i hit it <laughs> so i'm gonna have to like edit this part out <laughs> but like always yeah i always have like the little recording screen on the top left and i can see it flashing so i know i'm safe yeah okay cool so another thing you, you talk about the amount of work that it takes to do this how how long do you estimate that it takes you from you know prep to the time where you publish it and and maybe don't count the time you spend reading the book but like right. your other research doing the notes doing the outreach the actual recording the editing how, how many hours do you think goes into each podcast um well i know just the notes itself usually takes like maybe two hours uh out like email back and forth maybe like an hour just also find the email editing uh also maybe like an hour or two with all the distribution so maybe like maybe like six hours in total so i guess reading is probably the majority of the work i do especially i, I usually we read the book uh so like six hours production time uh, if you include reading time it probably comes out to like 10 or 15 hours yeah that's that's about where i'm at too i think i'm usually between like seven and ten hours for an episode which you know it's a lot of work but it's a lot of fun too <laughs> yeah so alex i'm always fascinated with the intricacies of being a creator um, are you a full-time creator or do you work a regular job too? So, uh, for the past like year and a half, I've been working for podcast notes. So they've been like stellar. Uh, they also like, you know, I take notes also on my own podcast. So they really like help me out there. So it's been like a symbiotic relationship. Uh, but I'm really trying to shift towards like that full-time creative position. Cause I've been doing Alex and books for uh, almost four years now. So I feel like it's time to like get this, you know, rocket ship off the ground. And kind of that's one of the reasons I'm building this course, um, because I think it's a great way to share like all the information I learned and also to like that would be like my full time like revenue stream. Um, there's also like a couple other revenue streams for Alex and Books, but that would be like the main one. And I just feel like it's the right time to kind of like take that leap, especially now with the creator economy and everything and online courses taken off. Um, I feel like that's the next step, next step for Alex and Books. Can you talk about your revenue model a little more? Like what are your different streams of income and how close are you to being able to have Alex and books support your needs full time? Yeah. Uh, so different like revenue streams would be like doing sometimes paid book reviews for like Instagram, uh, which I'm usually not a fan of because like the big authors, like, you know, you know, James Clear, he's not going to pay me to like promote his book. Like he could promote his book by himself. So it's usually like the smaller no name authors who, you know, sometimes they, they're the people that sometimes shouldn't be writing a book that are trying to pay you and promote a book. Mm. So I usually say no to like, I usually get like three to four like book requests a, a week. And I like say no to almost uh, all of them. I do maybe like one or two paid book requests a month. Um, I, I get, I do also like a lot, a lot of uh, Amazon affiliate links. So on my website is links to all the books and, you know, Amazon pays like three or 4% per purchase. Um, I just launched my merch store. So like I sell like t-shirts and like Alex and book stickers. So that's like a new source of revenue. And the course is probably like the biggest one, uh, in pre-sales, we just hit a little bit over 5k in like two, uh, like two weeks. So if I could just earn like four to 5k a month and like in total from all like the revenue, I think that would just be enough to, you know, go, go full time in it. That's awesome. So exciting. So, so like I said, I'm, I'm always really interested in you know, the, the minutia of being a creator, because I, I want to be there full time at some point. So I'm interested in your daily routine. Um, I know you put out a lot of content, so you must be very routine in what you're doing. Can you walk me through your typical day? And I'm wondering if every day is pretty much the same. Um, so my weekends and my weekdays are definitely different. Uh, which one would you want to hear? about? Let's hear the weekdays first. Okay. 
usually, you know, wake up around like eight, maybe nine. Um, always try to get like a quick workout in, you know, gyms closed or anything. So I, I just have like a couple weights here and just do like a full body exercise. Um, yeah, like uh, squats, you know, burpees, push-ups, that whole thing, just to get like my blood flowing. Um, you know, then shower, eat. Um, and then usually, yeah, like if I'm working for podcast notes, like, you know, start the day, like checking Slack, you know, do some, uh, you know, start working on a podcast. And usually in like the mornings, I try to share like one piece of content, either for Instagram or Twitter. Um, so like for Instagram, I have like a, I have like a schedule. So I usually have like a, a book review that I share, a book quote, and then usually like a video or something like that. So like having constraints in your creativity definitely helps because I don't have to think like, what do I have to create next? And then for Twitter, I have like a ton of ideas that I just keep in like my unsent tweets. Mm. So like if you open that up, it's like 50 to like 100 tweets I haven't even shared. And then, um, so yeah, usually during the day, just working uh, in the afternoon, I try to like just get some sunlight, run some errands, get lunch, you know, maybe walk the dog. Uh, yeah, after that, it's like usually back to work. And then like in the evenings, more like when I shift from like the day job to like the Alex and books. So just thinking more about like what kind of content can I create? Like uh, who can I reach out to for the podcast? Is there any, any editing I have to do? And I feel like towards the end of the night, I usually have uh, something I call book o'clock. So like, how do you schedule your time? Like, you know, you schedule time to like meet up with friends, to like have a meeting with a coworker, but people don't schedule a time for reading. So like my book o'clock is usually like uh, 11 p.m. to like midnight. And then, so from that time, like the only thing I could do is like read books. And then like, you know, either I get sleepy and I just head to bed or like I just keep on reading. So if like a great book, like I've stayed up sometimes till like 1 a.m. or like 2 a.m. reading. Um, and then I also feel like at night is like the time when I'm still creative, but still like my brain like still has a little bit of energy left, but it's not like super strict. So I'll do like a lot of journaling and writing. Mm. So a lot of like, a lot of the tweet ideas I come up with that are really great usually come up like around midnight. Cause like I'm tired, but I'm not like super tired that to the point that I'm falling asleep. But I just feel like there's something about like the end of the day when I know like everyone's sleeping and I just feel like this creative idea is coming. And there's been like multiple times where like I'm in bed and I'm falling asleep and I just come up with a tweet. I'm like, damn, I have to get out to like, you know, write this down because I know I'm going to forget it. But uh, so that's usually kind of like uh, my routinely schedule. Okay, that's cool. So you mentioned with Instagram, you have like kind of a schedule of what you're putting out. Do you use a specific tool or a software to track that? Uh, no, I, I just like all, all my like Instagram posts and mo vast majority of my tweets are kind of just live because it's something about just, uh, being in the presence of social media and like, um, just knowing like what's going on in the world. Like sometimes on Twitter, I'll see, uh, like there's this trend. It's like, tell me you're this while telling me you're this. And I just like copy that. I'm like, tell me you read books while telling me you, you read books. And that tweet did phenomenal. Uh, there's also this other trend. Um, it was like, um, how it started versus how it's going. Mm. And I just took, I'm like, I, you know, I asked my roommate, Hey, can you take these two pictures of me? And like, I shared that, that posted phenomenal. So although you do want to kind of know like what direction or like what to post, like if there's like a trend going on, it's like, you know, you could save what you want to post for like another day. Definitely like hop on that trend because there's a reason, there's a reason it's popular. And if you do it, people will see like, Oh, that's a really cool, like creative, you know, twist on what's going on. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't schedule any of my stuff, but I do have like kind of this like bigger schedule in mind. I like that. So I've noticed 
my growth on Twitter and email subscribers tends to come in spurts. What have been the biggest growth events for you? So I feel like for personally, for my Twitter, usually the two types of tweets do best. It's either like a David Perel-like tweet thread, where it's like super long, in-depth, that takes like a lot of time to write, but it'll do like especially well. Or it's like a super short but deep tweet, like Naval-like. Mm. So those are like two people I look up to. And that's been like really great for me. So either I'll also like third part would be like engaging tweets. So it'd be like, uh, you know, hey, it's Friday. You know, what's everyone reading this weekend? Or I just shared, you know, 2020 is coming to an end. What's the best book you read this week? I mean, this year. So those like three types of areas I follow. And like the tweet threads really kind of build your credibility in the area because a ton of people save it on like Readwise or they'll share it. Mm. Uh, the short tweets uh, get like the most retweets because it's just it's super short. You know, you could read it in like five seconds and it's like if someone likes it, they'll retweet it. And then the questions you have for like for engagement. So like, you know, you want to ask a question and it's called social media for a reason. Like you have to be social. Like if you ask a question and people answer it, you have to like at least like that comment or like, you know, comment back and like start a conversation. Uh, so those are like three main types of tweets I do. And I notice like each one has its own like advantages. But if you do all three in order, um, you'll definitely like start seeing a growth in your Twitter profile. Okay. How about how about the email list? Yeah. So this is actually one I experimented a lot uh, over the years. And I've noticed like even though you may have like a presence on multiple social media platforms, your audience is not the same. It does not overlap for the most part. So for like when I share people on Instagram, it's like, hey, follow my newsletter. The things people are on Instagram because they want like that visual aesthetic. They want to look at pictures. And I notice most of the people there, like they want to read books, but a lot of them confess to me. It's like, hey, you know, you know, I want to read more, but I don't read more. But your page makes me feel like I'm reading. I'm like, <laughs> no, that's like that's, that's not the point here. You still have to like read books. <laughs> so it's like when I post on, on like Instagram, I really don't get like any like newsletter followers. But when I post on Twitter, because Twitter is text based and it's like people are already reading and there's a lot more like readers on there. It's like I've seen the amount of growth from Twitter to my newsletter is like incredible. So now it's like I barely even post about my newsletter on Instagram, even though my audience is like four times bigger on Instagram. So you would think like at least like it'd be somewhat comparable. But no, it's like my Twitter audience of like a quarter of the size drives the vast majority of my growth. So, yeah, if you have a newsletter and you're not on Twitter, you're definitely missing out because there's a lot of like overlap on that, that audience. And if you have like Instagram audience or like TikTok audience or even probably YouTube, you're probably not going to see that much growth because they're focused on the visual or the video. But on Twitter, it's text-based, so it makes sense that people are interested in your newsletter because it's all written just like your tweets are. That's an interesting observation. It makes a lot of sense. Do you think you'll see much traffic to your course from Instagram or no? So actually, uh, I started this tweet thread where I'm building the course in public, so I'm sharing all the stats. So uh, if you go to my Twitter profile, you could check it out. And I, I, I created different coupons so I could kind of track where my sales are coming from. So just to give some, um, just to give some background, like my Twitter audi uh, audience at the time had like 15k followers, and my Instagram audience had like 65k, so literally like four times the size. But my Twitter audience got more sales than my Instagram audience, and my newsletter audience got just almost as much as my um, Twitter audience, even though I only have like 3,000 subscribers versus 15,000 followers on Twitter. Hmm. So now moving forward, I'm focusing less time on Instagram and more time on my Twitter feed and definitely my newsletter because that's been like the vast driver of my uh, sales growth. 
So it's it's been really fascinating to learn, like, even though I have this huge audience of, you know, now it's like 70,000 people on Instagram, it's like, you know, they're not really reading books and they're not really interested in the course. So why am I spending so much time, you know, trying to grow this audience that isn't really kind of rewarding me for all my efforts? Um, so that's just been like, a, uh, that's been a really interesting uh, discovery I made recently. It's interesting to see the different levels of engagement from the different platforms. So it sounds like Instagram, the type of consumer that you have there is, is more of a passive consumer. They just want to see visuals. They want to maybe get that shot of dopamine, but they don't actually really want to engage that much. And then Twitter, you go a step up to people who are a little bit more intellectual, a little bit more interested in reading and engaging. And then the third step is the email newsletter, where if you have to go somewhere and put your email in a box and sign up and have something coming into your inbox, you're probably going to be very engaged from that. That's a super valuable lesson for anybody yeah. creating or selling. I like yeah. that. And j just, to, just to add on that, so I started like the merch store recently, like a week or two ago, and 100% of my sales of merch have been from Instagram and none from like Twitter huh. or anywhere else. So that's been really interesting. And yeah, just to, so for the course, I have 15K on Twitter and 3K on newsletter. And it was basically like equal amount of sales. So like your newsletter is worth, you know, your newsletter audience is worth what, like five times your Twitter audience. So that's like a good way to look at it. Wow. That's a, yeah, that's a good perspective. That's cool. All right, Alex, we need to do some book specific questions here. So I know you've read a lot of self-improvement books, just like I have. Um, but if you could never read another self-improvement book, what genre would you switch to and why? Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm going to give you two answers here. Uh, the first one is going to be a pushback. So I think if you really think about it, every book is a self-improvement book. Like, cause when I was originally thinking of this question, I was going to say maybe like finance, but finance is just self-improving your like financial life. Mm. Or, uh, you know, if my answer was like writing because I want to be a better writer, that's just improving my like writing skills. Or even if you think about like uh, like relationships we mentioned earlier, like if you read the book like The Five Love Languages, that's just improving like your dating life. Like all these books are like self-improvement books if you think about it in like the meta world. But uh, to give you like a real answer, it would definitely be like psychology books. Like I study psychology and marketing in college because I'm just like fascinated by human behavior because I think so many people have like this mental model of the world and they feel like when they, they have this like... Uh, they have this view like if this happens this thing will happen and they get mad at the world or like at other people um if like something doesn't go according to like their world view or their mental model and it's like you don't understand like human behavior like at a hundred percent which is why psychology is so fascinating because it teaches you like you know i thought if x happens and y will happen it's like why isn't this working and then psychology kind of fills in those, those gaps like like just even if you read about like consumer behavior like uh, there's one it's like if you have a supermarket and you play uh, French music 80% of the wines you sell that day will be French wines and then if you play like Spanish music 80% of the wines that sold that day will be like Spanish wines so there's just like so many like interesting parts of, like human behavior like a lot of people don't understand and just filling in all the, all of those mental models of how the world works I think has been really fascinating and I really I read this book um, the elephant and the brain which kind of talks about like the hidden motives be behind like human uh, actions. And one surprising fact was um, like only 1% of uh, uh, charitable donations are uh, anonymous. And you would think like if people are giving to a charity, they want to just do good. But no, it's like 
people give to the charity because they want to advertise the generosity and you know sometimes they want their name on like a hospital or like a school building because they want other people to know like how generous they are and that's really like the hidden incentive behind giving the charity uh so like human beings are fascinated and i'm just uh you know that's why i love reading books about psychology if you had to recommend one psychology book what would it be um uh definitely start with mindset like that was like a life-changing book um so that's that's a book a college professor recommended to me and just yeah it completely changed my life uh because i used to have like a fixed mindset and then reading that book you learn about the growth mindset where you know who you are is not who you have to be and like a lot of people think like oh if i have to put in a lot of effort to do this that means i'm just not good at it but that's not the case that just means like you have a low skill level but if you practice enough you can get better at it so just mindset by cal dweck has been like a life-changing book uh pretty short book too and just anyone interested in psychology, that's like a must read. Also, uh, Man's Search for Meaning. Uh, we kind of mentioned this earlier about like the concentration camps. So the first half is him talking about how he survived Auschwitz and also how he found meaning in life when he was in like the world's, world's like worst situation ever. Uh, so that was just like an incredibly inspiring book, but also like incredible look at like psychology firsthand because it wasn't theory. Like this guy was like in it in the worst place ever and he still was able to like you know, view the world in like a positive light and find like meaning in his life. So, um, yeah, mindset and man's search for meaning are like must read psychology books. Awesome. I've been reading a decent amount of biographies this year and I'm always looking for good recommendations on that front. What's your favorite biography and why? Um, I'm gonna go with total recall by Arnold Schwarzenegger. Hmm. So that book was like, this guy just accomplished so much of, of his life. Um, I think he was born in Austria, came to the US, he was an immigrant, you know, didn't even speak the language. Uh, I think by 21, he became like the world's uh, best bodybuilder, one Mr. Olympia. And he basically become like, at a young age, the world's best bodybuilder. And then he's like, you know what, I reached the top here, I'm gonna get into acting, even though he had an accent. So which was like hard to understand. And he was like, he looked ridiculous with all these muscles at that time. And then he went on to do like all these, you know, incredible movies like The Terminator. And then he became like the world's biggest actor. And then from then on, he's like, you know what, you know, I'm done with acting now. Like I reached the top again. It's like, let me go into politics. And he became the governor of California, which is like one of the world's biggest economies. And then even to this day, he's like still giving back to like communities. And he has this great like after school program that he supports all the time. And he's just been like incredible role model in my life. And just like, although I haven't met him. But it's just so incredible that, you know, it would have been incredible to achieve, like, any one of these things. Like, becoming the world's biggest actor, best bodybuilder, you know, governor of California. And the fact that he was able to do, like, all three means, like, yeah, like, that guy had a growth mindset. He's like, I could do anything I accomplish. I could do anything I put my mind to. So that's just been, you know, fascinating to read a story. Uh, highly recommend that book. That's a great answer. I haven't read that book, but now it's it's going to go on my list. I think it's interesting to read about immigrants who have come here and accomplished really big things i'm reading uh, the fish that ate the whale right now um and these immigrants just seem to have a certain scrappiness that um maybe people born in america don't have and it's really fun to read about them alex would you prefer to read more books or read fewer books repeatedly uh definitely definitely the latter now looking back um, I'm actually working on this project. Um, so this year I did the 52 book challenge, you know, I read 55 books and 
what I'm realizing is it's really like a vanity metric and you know it feels great for your ego and like someone asks you especially if it's a girl it's like how many books do you read it's like oh I read 55 books this year and it's like but what people are missing out it's not about reading the books it's about especially if you're reading nonfiction. it's about applying what you read and I think there's just too much like when people talk about like newsletter subscribers like oh I have a million newsletter subscribers but I have a one percent open rate like that's not great at all so there's a similar problem with books like people or incentivize to do the wrong thing. Uh, so definitely, I think it's better to read less books, but reread those great books, the life-changing books, because you'll definitely get more value out of it. And those kind of, the great books, they have so much good information, there's no way you could read it all and absorb it the first time. It's like watching a great movie like Inception. Like, you got to watch that movie two to three times to really get all those, uh, like, details and, like, the full storyline behind it. And it's, it's not just all about reading. It's also about like applying what you learn. So yeah, I'm definitely starting 2021. I'm going to be shifting to like reading less books, but reading those great books and working more on applying that information instead of just, you know, reading the hot new thing. Yeah, I think that's a great approach. It's, I always kind of go back and forth in my head on this because I think especially when you're younger, it's, it's good to read as much as possible because it exposes you to a ton of different ideas and it helps you kind of focus in on what you're actually interested in. But then I think as you get older, uh, it's more important to focus on fewer things and focus on mastering those things. Mm. So it's it's it's, yeah. it's a cool thing to think about. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you there. And similar to like when you're first starting your career, I think uh, Derek Sivers talks about this book, uh, Anything You Want. It's like when you're first starting your career, say yes to every opportunity. But then once you kind of have a little bit of success, you have you you mostly have to say no to like almost every new opportunity and just focus on the stuff that's working and double down on that i think it's similar to books like sure like maybe the first couple of years read a ton of books and then once you find like those 12 or 20 life-changing amazing books then reread those and spend more time there it's a great point who is the author you wish would write a book or you wish would write another book i'll go with david goggins like his book can't hurt me it's just life-changing book right there and i'm sure he has a ton more stuff to talk about because like this guy just he runs like ultra marathon every weekend and it's just like incredible like his story is so motivational and yeah if he wrote another book and talked you know shared it um tomorrow i definitely like pre-order it right away yeah he's an impressive dude for sure i love <laughs> listening to his podcast like with joe rogan or whatever because he's just got so much passion and fire <laughs> yeah like i read his book and then i'm like you know i want to reread it but then i heard um he has this audiobook out so i got the audiobook and it also had like a ton of behind the scenes content behind that uh so yeah definitely if you read his book definitely get the audiobook because they dive in a lot more deeper and just hearing david goggins talk it's just like super motivational. Like you'll want to put, put your running, running shoes on and run a marathon. No doubt. All right, Alex, before we close with some rapid fire questions, do you have any questions for me? Yeah. So um, at the end of my podcast, I always asked uh, authors like, uh, what are two books that had like a life-changing impact on you? So I'd love to hear your answer for that. Yeah. So I'm going to pull up my spreadsheet here because I have a list of all the books I've read over the last four or five years. I know, so I'll start with Extreme Ownership, and I know this is one that um, you're a big fan of too. You you love Jocko, but I've probably read this one three times, and it's it's changed my life because it's, well, for a couple of reasons. It's helped me understand that you don't have to wait to be a leader. You can lead from 
whatever whatever level you're at you know you can lead up the chain of command um another reason it was life-changing is that you know the title extreme ownership it just that idea that you own everything in your world that changes your whole paradigm of, of how you approach life and you know a lot of people if if something bad happens to them they find an excuse or something to blame it on but when you embrace this mindset of extreme ownership you take responsibility for everything that happens to you so what this does is it helps you to transition to thinking all right how do i prevent these bad things from happening and even if maybe this wasn't my fault what can i pull from this experience that i could have done better so it's it's always kind of forcing you to um, improve and and think about how you're approaching life and think about how you're treating the people um, below you and it's just always it's always motivating me to be a better leader um, in every part of my life so that is definitely a big one the other one Man, I've read so many books that have, have really had an impact on me, but I'll just say I think The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday because this is another kind of like mindset-changing book where you look at um, adversity or things that happen that you know you would maybe prefer that didn't happen and you look at them as an opportunity. And it kind of was my introduction to stoicism and the stoic mindset and, and saying like, Hey, I can't always control what happens in my life, but I can always control how I react to it. And I think that's an important part of, of maturing and, and growing as an individual is, is knowing that I can always control my reaction and I'm always going to try to make sure my reaction is the best that it can possibly be, because that's going to put me in a better position for the next step. So I'd say those are probably the, the two most important books. And the two phenomenal authors and, you know, two great books. And yeah, just learning that mindset that you own everything and like the obstacle is the way. It's just like, it's a life-changing perspective and really, you know, makes life a lot more bearable and, and better once you understand that. So uh, yeah, those are great. Any others? Um, what, yeah. So, so what made you want like first reach out to uh, me the first time? Like, I remember like, uh, you know, like I bet, you know, this was a couple of years ago and I thought like it was weird enough to kind of like meet girls like online, but like to meet like friends online because now it's like getting normalized. Like I met a ton of people online, but kind of what was that like first, like, Hey, I'm gonna reach out to this guy and like, let's hang out sometime. Yeah, man, that's a good question. I don't remember exactly what it was that led to me sending you a message. I feel like it had to be something specific. Um, but I guess I had just been following you for a long time and really liked the content you were putting out there. And I was like, hey, this is this is a guy who I would probably be friends with because he's reading a lot of the same books that I'm reading. It seems like he's getting a lot of the same takeaways that I'm getting from those books. And then he's putting this information out there. Like he's not just consuming it. He's using it to build an audience and to build, you know, what has now kind of turned into a business. And I was like, hey, I want to meet this dude. I think I think we'd yeah. probably click and, and be friends. And, right. you know, when you put it that way, yeah, it is kind of weird. <laughs> 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 but uh, I, I think it turned out pretty good because, you know, now we talk pretty frequently. We're sitting here recording yeah. this podcast and we've been able to bounce ideas off of each other and help each other grow. So. Um, yeah, I don't know what specifically it was, but I'm glad I did. 
Yeah. And the reason I asked that is um, uh, because we talked about inflection points through our lives uh, throughout this podcast. And that's been a huge one for me. And it's like, you don't realize this is huge butterfly effect. So just to give everyone the summary. So like Joe reached out to me, we hung out like Central Park went for that run. We ended up going to like a couple like authors events together. Like we both met uh, Ryan Holiday. That was a fun time. And then Joe actually uh, introduced me to like Rite of Passage and this guy, David Perel. And he actually influenced me to take, you know, the Rite of Passage, even though it was like thousand dollars or something. I'm like, are you sure? Like, is this worth it? And it was just incredible to learn like David Perel. He's like our age and he's doing this whole course. And, like uh, he was sharing all this great information on Twitter. And we met so many cool people in that like group, like uh, Packy, who starts the non-boring newsletter. He was there. And then like so many other like great guys and girls. And it was just like it was great to get out of this comfort zone and out of this bubble and learn about Twitter and like the online digital world. And then I remember specifically, we were heading back from one of the events and I was talking to you. It was like, Hey, I'm thinking of doing this thing or like kind of shifting Alex and books towards like learning more about like how to read better. And like, cause I think like reading is a skill and like there's things I could teach people to learn how to read better. And I, I still wasn't sure about it and I haven't told anyone about it. And you were like the first person, and you, like your initial reaction was like, yes, like, yo, that's pretty cool. Like if you wrote a book or something about that, like I would buy it. And so that was like the first like proof of concept. And you actually gave me like the courage and the motivation to be like, you know what? I'm going to like go into the, like this rabbit hole to see where it goes. So like this whole like inflection point of like you just deciding to send this DM, me actually saying yes, like meeting up to this and like going on right of passage together. It's just been an incredible journey. So uh, just super happy you reached out to me. I'm super happy we met up, became friends. And uh, I just want to say thank you for everything you've done for Alex and Books, Joe. Wow, Alex, man, that that's so <laughs> kind of you. Thanks for sharing that. And um, I had no idea that I had had that influence on you. That's that's really cool. And and I I really appreciate our friendship. Um, all right, let me jump into some rapid fire questions to close it out here. All right, let's do it. What book have you given most as a gift? Um, so actually, I I don't give out books uh, necessarily. Um, but the books I recommended the most, uh, has definitely been, uh, Man's Search for Meaning because I think it's a super short book, uh, applicable to almost anyone and probably tied with that is Atomic Habits because we all have habits, uh, that we could approve on. So it's, you know, anyone could read that book. James Clear is a, a great author. Uh, so Man's Search for Meaning and Atomic Habits is the two books I recommend most. Great recommendations. I like both of those books very much. What advice would you give to a smart, driven college student about to graduate? Uh, the world is becoming a place where self-education is more important than your degree. So it's great that you graduated, got that degree, but it really, it's like you want to be a learner your entire life. So even though you're done with college, you're not done with learning. And books, and books, podcasts, and like online courses are a great way to kind of continue your education. So although you're done with school, don't be done with learning. That's a great answer. Who's your favorite Twitter Twitter follow? Um, that's a tough one. Probably James Clear. Like, even though he has this whole book on habits, he also like he started shifting kind of like Naval to like philosophy and like self improvement. And it's just his Twitter feed is like all pure like value. Like he doesn't tweet about like sports or like you know hanging out with friends or any of that. It's just like every single tweet you read is like you could learn something from. And that's kind of like who I try to follow with my own Twitter feed. Um, so yeah, if you're not following James Clear on Twitter, like definitely check him out. Definitely agree. His his tweets are very well written. It looks almost like they go through a, an editing process. Yeah. 
All right, we'll end on this one. What is the kindest thing anyone has ever done for you? I could probably think on this question for hours. I'm not I'm not really sure. Well, probably just like the most recent thing. Uh, I've been wanting to build like a stand-up desk uh, because like I'm pretty tall and like I couldn't find anything like to fit like a specific measurement I needed. So, you know, I asked a like good friend of mine who's like, you know, he's working full time and he has like a ton of side jobs that make him a ton of money. I was like, hey man, any chance you could like help me build this desk? And he's like, he got, he got the wood, he got the paint, you know, he helped me like cut it and like set it up and everything. Uh, he's like a super handy uh, and creative guy. And um, so we just spent like a week working on it. And uh, I just really appreciated him taking out the time uh, from his busy schedule to like help me build a stand-up desk. Uh, because like I'm always working, I'm always sitting down and like my back and neck were killing me. So I'm like, I got to fix something. Uh, so the fact that you know, like he's a successful dude and busy guy. And the fact that he took like the time out of his day to like help me out, I really appreciated it. And then, you know, I bought him like a bottle of whiskey after it. <laughs> That's cool. So he helped you build something that for years to come, you will be using to create content and, and put value out into the world. I love that. Exactly. And probably save my like spine and neck too. <laughs> there you go. Alex, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, I love talking to you and, and you have so much wonderful information to share with people. Anybody who wants to continue the conversation or read your writing or follow you or take your course, uh, where can they find you? Sure. Uh, so on social media, I'm on, uh, you know, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. You could just search for Alex and Books. Um, I also have my website, alexandbooks.com. So there you can find like my merch store. You can also find the course. Uh, it's on the like, uh, top of the page. I also have a newsletter that you could subscribe to. I think we're a little over 3,300 people. And then I also have a podcast called The Reader's Journey Podcast with Alex and Books, which is available on all major podcasting platforms. All right. I'll link to all that in the show notes. And thanks again, Alex. I really appreciate you. Joe, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for being a part of my life, uh, being part of Alex and Books. And uh, this has been just such a fun and wonderful conversation. So uh, thank you for everything you've done for me. Thanks, Alex. We'll talk soon. Thanks for spending your time listening to the show. If you have any questions, comments, or further topics for discussion, shoot me a message on Twitter at Joseph C. Wells. I'd love to hear from you. And make sure to sign up for my weekly newsletter, The Lake Street Journal, at josephcwells.com. Until next time, take care and thanks for listening.